The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Today's passage will be from Psalm 46. Open your Bible to Psalm 46. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its water roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This morning, we continue our series on select psalms for summer. And my aim, I should have did this the first week, but my aim is that we'll return to this series periodically over the next decade or so, so that by 2035, plus or minus a few years, we'll have done all 150 psalms. And this morning, we come to Psalm 46, a psalm that has brought comfort for Christians throughout the centuries. So would you join me as we pray? Father in heaven, cause your word to have a tailor-made grace for your people this morning. As we've sung it, as we have heard it read, we pray now that you would apply it to our hearts in such a way that we would be steadfast and immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder how many of you were familiar with this book or owned a copy of it. It is the worst case scenario survival handbook. It sold 10 million copies in 1999 and spawned all sorts of other books and even TV shows. Show of hands, how many of you had a copy? Oh, admit it. Okay, maybe not. <laughs> I, I, I read it. Uh, and it was both funny and semi-educational. It taught you how to land a plane in case the pilot went down or fend off a shark if you found yourself head-to-head with a shark, or to wrestle free from an alligator, or to escape from quicksand. It was a humorous attempt to address the types of worst-case scenarios that we might encounter in life. And it's funny. I have yet to use any of those things. (laughs) And we know that the worst-case scenarios are not the ones that are easily solved with a few bullet points and a 
simple drawing, the real worst case scenarios that we face in life are devastating, are devastating and difficult, like the death of a loved one or miscarriage or estrangement from family or disease or divorce or cancer or mental illness or being told that you have days or weeks or years to live. These are the real worst case scenarios because life is full of calamity that can't be solved with a simple handbook. Life is full of calamity. Calamity is kind of an old school word. It's defined as an event that brings terrible loss Lasting distress or severe affliction. Calamity could be a a global disaster or maybe a national disaster. But we all know that the ones that shake us to our core are the ones that hit closest to home. Those are the calamities that really rock us at our core. It's the personal trials that leave us rocked and reeling, fearful and anxious. And this morning, Psalm 46 seeks to prepare us when calamity comes. That when calamity comes into our life, and some of us are experiencing that calamity right now, Psalm 46 is like granite beneath our feet. Psalm 46 aims to instill confidence in the heart of the believer. Now, the Bible... Psalm 46 doesn't tell us the particular situation that was being experienced when Psalm 46 was being written. You can kind of see that from the subscript. Psalm 46, we don't know the specific situation out of it was written. And yet these truths are for all manner of crises and calamities. In some way, it's better to not know Because we can apply them to the vast and the multitude of calamities that we will experience. On a personal note, Psalm 46 is the one I turn to most when I visit people at the hospital. It's kind of the go-to. If I don't know where else to turn, I go to Psalm 46. And so I have a very personal aim in this message. That if and when I visit you at the hospital and I read you Psalm 46, I want you to know exactly what this psalm means. Because a lot of us know what verse 1 means, and a lot of us really like verse 10, but everything else we're sort of like, ah, it sort of makes sense, I think. And my aim this morning is that all of us would walk away this morning with a very clear, distinct sense of every single verse of Psalm 46. I want you to be prepared in advance to have your worst case scenario psalm on hand before calamity strikes. So the question that Psalm 46 answers for us this morning is this. When crisis comes, what should I know about God? What do I need to know about God when crisis comes? Or you could put it this way. When my world is falling apart, where do I turn? Or when I'm anxious, alone, and afraid, where do I look? And this morning, you can know 
the God revealed in Psalm 46. You can turn to the God revealed in Psalm 46, and you can look to the God revealed in Psalm 46. So here's the main point. If you're one of the kids who are writing, I'll give you a simplified main point in just a second. If you're writing on those little worksheets, the main point is this. God's people can confidently cleave to him when calamity comes. Let me repeat that. God's people can confidently cleave to God when calamity comes. And if you can't spell calamity or confidently, just write, we can trust God. If you're a kid, write that down in the spot that says main point. We can trust God. Psalm 46 reassures us of God's goodness and reveals his power and love in the midst of catastrophic circumstances. So, Psalm 46 has three stanzas. You can kind of see that. And I think there are three central truths that are revealed in Psalm 46 that help us when calamity comes. And the first is this, that God protects his people when calamity comes. God protects his people when calamity comes. Psalm 46 begins with some of the most comforting words ever penned in all of scripture. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The psalmist tells us where to turn in the midst of a storm. We turn to our refuge. A refuge is a little bit like a a shelter, right? Like a nuclear bomb shelter in the midst of a nuclear war where we're shielded from the troubles around us. But then he also tells us, he kind of juxtaposes refuge and strength. So what's the difference? I think strength is kind of keying in not just of the arrows outside where we need a refuge, but what about our internal fears and anxieties? God is our strength. He's an internal power that upholds us in the midst of trouble. And so when he puts refuge and strength back to back and together, he's saying it covers the full range of troubles that we might experience. Things from outside of us and things from within us. Things, we we know we're irrational at times, but we're still afraid of it and it rises up in our hearts. And it's not like we can hide under something, but we have enemies from outside as well. I think this idea of strength it is illustrated in a coronary stent. So arteries from our heart go to and fro and they carry blood where our body needs it. And if your arteries get clogged, you suffer from a heart attack and you die. But they have these things called coronary stents, which are very, very tiny. And they insert them into your artery with a catheter It comes with a little balloon and then this little mesh, what they call a coronary stent. And they insert it into the place where you have blockage. And then they blow up this little balloon so it pushes that mesh and it holds open your artery. And then they deflate the balloon, they pull out the catheter. And now you have something that is very literally holding open the arteries of your heart so that you do not die. It holds open the flow of blood so that your heart keeps beating. When we are in danger of succumbing to fear and anxiety, God upholds our hearts like that. 
He is a strength. The psalmist tells us that God is a very present help in trouble. He's ready and reliable and faithful and trustworthy. God is there when you need him most. This is contrasted, if we think about our Bibles, with Elijah and the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18. You remember this showdown with Elijah, prophets of Baal, and he says, well, let's find out once and for all who's worshiping the true God. You guys go first. And they're calling out to Baal, and Elijah says what? To mock them. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's sitting on the toilet. Cry a little louder. And yet our God is contrasted with Baal. Present help in time of trouble. Whenever we need his help, he is there. Now, verse 2 and 3 reveal the calamity that's at work. The psalmist began, first thing, with who is God? What do I need to know about him? He's a refuge. He is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now he says, therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Now, mountains and the earth are normally immovable, steady, firm. And the picture here is that they're being overcome by the raging and the roaring and the foaming of the sea. So, so the mountains are trembling. This calls to mind... I think two main things. The flood of Genesis, where the flood waters rose so much that the mountains were being covered, but also of uncreation, uh, the, the undoing of all of creation itself. Basically, all hell is breaking loose, complete chaos. And the psalmist says, at the beginning of verse two, we will not fear even when the most catastrophic things possible are taking place. Why? Because God is our refuge and strength. The opening stanza of Psalm 46 points us to the confidence that God's people can have in the midst of God's protection. In the midst of what might be a natural disaster, God protects his people when calamity comes. The the importance of having a refuge is often lost lost on us because we're always indoors in climate-controlled settings. But the need for a refuge dawned on me once when I went camping with my small group. It was several years ago. My small group buddies, they know this story. Uh, We were sleeping one night, and we, we were getting alerts on our phone that a big storm was rolling through, lightning, thunder, rain, hail, and potential for trees to fall with high winds. And so we said, well, we'll we'll wait wait it out, see how it goes. And then the alert started blowing up our phones. And so kind of, you know, midnight or whatever it was, we start heading down to the cars and the wind is howling and our, our tents are, you know, kind of swaying completely in the wind and, and we're a little concerned. And so we get down to the cars and in that moment I panic because I didn't have a car to take refuge in. Stephanie wisely had left already with one of our children. Maybe they were sick or maybe that's just the wise thing to do when you go camping is go home instead. But uh, she, she had gone home earlier and so I had no car to take refuge in with this big storm coming. That panic that I felt in that moment, caught in a deadly storm, precariously exposed to the elements, 
is what the psalmist has in view, but magnified a thousand times. And he says the truth that will get you through that is that God is our refuge and strength, a present help, a very present help in trouble. Psalm 46 tells us that God is strong and sovereign to protect his people. Now look with me at the second stanza. This highlights that God is with his people when calamity strikes. The second stanza changes metaphors and highlights God's presence. So not, as, not only his protection, but God's presence when calamity strikes. Verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, in this stanza, the psalmist points to new calamities where the waters were raging in the first stanza. Now they are a calm river that run through a city. So it's not natural disaster anymore, but it's probably a national crisis. Now, uh, a river that runs through a city would have strengthened and helped and fortified the city. So if ever enemies came and tried to surround them and cut them off, you would have a water source that would run through it. And so having a river in the midst of the city was a good thing. But we see this city under attack in verse 6. The nations rage and the kingdoms totter. This calls to mind Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain against God and his anointed people and the city of God? Now, the the city in view is probably Jerusalem, but Jerusalem did not have a river that ran through it. And so it's likely referring to a figurative river that symbolizes God's presence. And what this second stanza reveals for us is that God is present among his people when calamity strikes. See how many times his presence is mentioned. This city is the holy habitation of the Most High. God dwells in the midst of the city, probably in the temple. Verse 5, God is in the midst of her. God will help her when morning dawns. Verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now this phrase, God will help her when morning dawns in verse 5, I think alludes to and uses the same language of what we find in Exodus 14, 27. Now if you remember, the Israelites enslaved by Egypt leave and now they're being pursued and then they get cornered in. The Red Sea on one side, Egyptian army in hot pursuit on the other side. And what do they do? Well, they cry out, and God comes and ministers to them by his own presence in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. And then Moses lifts up his staff, and they go through the Red Sea. And then in Exodus 14, 27, when the Egyptians follow them into the sea, this is what it says. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning dawned or when the morning appeared. Psalm 46 calls to mind God's timely deliverance, just like for Israel in the Exodus. A minute earlier, and they would have, the Egyptian army would have kept pursuing them. A minute later, they would have gotten all the way through. 
God brought his help exactly when they needed it. God's presence serves as a help and a protection. Look at verse 4. So that the city of God is made glad. God's presence gives gladness and joy to the people of God, even in the midst of calamity. So one of the ways that we fight the fight of faith in trials is remembering this central truth, that God is with us. Because that's one of the questions we often ask. Where is God in this? Remember, he is with us. For the kids among us, what brings you comfort when you're scared? When you hear something scary, you have a bad dream, what do you do? You call for mom and dad. You go to them. You sit in mom's lap. You hold dad's hand. You climb into their bed and snuggle with them. Because mom and dad's presence, just knowing that they're there, makes all the difference in the world. And so it is with God. Just knowing that he's there with us in the midst of catastrophic calamities, massive disasters. You're not alone. God is with us. Here are just a few biblical texts. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Psalm 34, 18. Or the author of Hebrews quotes Jesus as saying, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. So the truth of stanza two is that God is near to us when calamity comes. I was talking to a congregant on Wednesday night, and we were talking about this transition from being one multi-site church to become three independent churches, and all, all of the work that needs to be done to kind of figure out a new name and and all of those things. And he said, are people nervous or anxious about this? And I said, well, I don't know. And he said, well, I wanted to come up on that Sunday night and come to the mic and remind people of how God has been so faithful to us over these last 24 months. Isn't that a good reminder? God has been faithful and trustworthy in global pandemics and tumultuous elections and a polarized nation and racial unrest. He's faithful in sickness and war and rumors of war and resignations and gossip and in looming financial instability. And so my question for us this morning, has God let us down for one moment? No. Have we been weathering the storm in our own strength? No. A million times, no. Have the elders been leading this church in our own wisdom? No. A million times, no. God's presence, God's spirit has been our help in every moment. And so he is trustworthy to get us through for the next 10 months, the next 10 years, and until he returns. God is a refuge and a strength, a very present help in trouble. He is faithful to see you through, through whatever calamities are on your plate or ahead of you. Death of a loved one, cancer diagnosis, unclear what's wrong with you physically, estrangement with family. God is sufficient and he will see you through. The psalmist 
wants to make sure we get this. He repeats verse 7 and verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God's presence and God's protection enable God's people to confidently cleave to him when calamity comes. Now, third stanza, God's power when calamity comes. So we've seen God's protection, his presence, and now we see his power in verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He makes, he breaks the bow, shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. First, we get this invitation to come. Behold the works of the Lord. So what are the works of the Lord that we're to behold? What are we supposed to see here in this third stanza? Well, it tells us in verse 8 how God has brought desolations on the earth. That does not sound all that comforting. God has brought desolations. Now, we see that explained in verse 9. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. So what is God doing? He's bringing an end to war, destroying all the implements of war, bow, spear, chariots, and ushering in peace. So we see the destruction of all military arsenals and weaponry, nuclear disarmament, and God ushers in everlasting peace. So where the first two stanzas says, in the midst of the storm, God's going to protect you. In the midst of the storm, God's going to be with you. And now it's God's going to bring an end to the storm altogether. God will end all war and the raging of nations to establish everlasting peace. In verse 10, says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. Now, verse 10 is most people's favorite verse of Psalm 46. You might have this cross-stitched into a pillow, you know, printed on a canvas in your house, maybe on a little coffee mug. And, and the ring for many of us, when we think about verse 10 of Psalm 46, is kind of like, go take a nap, be still, relax, sit out by the lake, drink some lemonade. And that, that's not really the whole tone of verse 10. The truth of 4610 is a glorious truth, but it's also a rebuke. Imagine a war raging in a field. Soldiers on either side, tanks launching off, missiles flying, and then Jesus Christ himself rides in on his fiery chariot throne gleaming white, and he says, be still and know that I am God. And everyone freezes and stops all their chaos and commotion. That's what verse 10 is doing. I think that's a much more accurate way to understand verse 10. Look at verse 6. He utters his voice and the earth melts. God comes down in the midst of all the raging, all of the storm. And he says, peace, be still. Just like Jesus in the boat. Storm raging. And what does Jesus do? Peace, be still. 
This call to be still is less about comfort for the anxious, though it is that. But it's not just that. It's not just go relax. It's a rebuke to a world in restless rebellion. It's like an adult coming in and grabbing two children who are squabbling and saying, stop it. Or Bob Newhart, right? Stop it. This is God coming in in the midst of all of this raging, all of this rebellion. And God says, I'm going to put an end to all of it once and for all. Cancer, be still. Brokenness, be still. Human trafficking, be still. I'm going to bring an end to all of it so that God will get glory and be greatly exalted. He will be exalted because he will come and all will stop. All will see God for who he is. They will recognize God as God and recognize his divine rule and reign as Lord Almighty. There will be a day when Jesus does, in fact, ride in on his fire chariot. And in that day, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the praise and glory of God Almighty. So not only does God protect his people, not only does God promise that he will be with us in the midst of all the calamity that we face, but God will bring an end to all calamity once and for all. And so this leads to the question of, well, when's this day coming? When's this day coming? Well, the psalmist has in view a future day when calamity will end. That perfect peace is coming, but it's not yet. We know this because right now there is war raging in our world and we are all experiencing various types of mini calamities in our lives. And if you're not experiencing one, you will experience one. And yet at the same time, this peace has already begun in the person and work of Jesus. Jesus is the very presence of God, and he came to bring peace. This is why we call him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us, or he's the prince of peace. In Isaiah 9, 6. Or Colossians 1, 20 tells us that he reconciles to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So Jesus taught during his earthly ministry that if you destroy this temple, the temple in Jerusalem, in three days I'll rebuild it. He's talking about his body. And then the curtain was torn in two, so the holy holies was no longer cut off because this was all to symbolize that Jesus would be in and among his people once and for all forever. So in Matthew 28, 20, when he gives the great commission, he says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Well, how can he say that? He ascended into heaven and he left us. Well, he gave us his spirit. And Jesus would say, that's even better than me being among you. So in John's gospel, Jesus says, John fourteen sixteen, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper who will be with you for how long? To be with you forever. And then a few verses later, in verse 26 of John 14, he says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. And then in the next 
verse. He says, peace I leave with you. Well, what peace? I think he means the Holy Spirit. When he says, peace I leave with you, he's talking about the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit that will bring to mind all of the things that Jesus taught us. When he goes, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you, not let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So in the midst of trouble, in the midst of fear, the Lord Jesus Christ mediates his presence through his spirit to be with us so that we might experience peace. The sending of the Holy Spirit and the giving of peace to his disciples are one and the same. So why should we not be afraid? Jesus gives his people peace through the Spirit so that we might experience life and joy. So Psalm 46 are not just big glorious truths about a big glorious God that's all out there. These are personal intimate truths for a person facing calamity because God's spirit will minister to us, dwells within us, and gives us exactly the word that we need in the right moment. So, one of the applications for us this morning is in verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. This is an exhortation for us. Sometimes we do this, right? Like if you, something crazy comes up or maybe you're, you're feeling some sort of health ailment, and so what do you do? You go to Dr. Google, right? And you start searching and figuring out, and then you're like, oh no, it could be like this flesh-eating bacteria, and you, know, you just go down this tailspin of figuring out all the horrific things it could be uh, because we're trying to just frantically figure out life on our own. And Psalm 4610 says, stop it. Be still and know that you have something better. You have God Almighty on your side as your protector. His presence is with you and he will see you all the way through to a day when there is no more war. So stop your frenetic activity. Stop your frantic searching for joy and come to the one who gives it to you freely in the person and work of Jesus. Church, with the transitions ahead of us, uncertainty, be still. Not because you have great leaders, not because we figured out everything. It's because we have God on our side. And if God is for us, who shall be against us? You are not God. I am not God. And God is still seated on his throne. Romans 8.28 didn't disappear from our Bibles last night. So what are you trusting when crisis and calamity comes? We trust in the Lord Jesus. If you're not trusting in Jesus this morning, if you're a visitor, if you're just checking us out, we're so glad you're here. We don't always yell this much, but sometimes we do. (laughs) We want to ask you a question. If you're not trusting in Jesus, what are you trusting in? What will you look to when crisis and calamity comes? What's going to be like rock-solid granite beneath your feet when, when your world falls apart? Maybe a discouraging diagnosis. Maybe global catastrophe. Maybe nuclear war. Do you have a hope that can withstand the calamities of life? 
that you have no doubt when the worst thing ever happens to you, I can go there. And without a hint of pride, we would say, we don't know of anywhere that you ought to turn other than to Jesus. Jesus is the only way. He's the truth and he's the life. Only Jesus, only faith in Jesus, only surrendering to Jesus can withstand the storms and trials of life. And so we would call you this morning, turn to Jesus. We invite you to stop running from him. Stop raging against him. Stop ignoring him. Stop trying to figure it out with the Google search or living in your own self-sufficiency and seek God. Surrender to him, confessing your sin of self-sufficiency, trying to do it in your own strength and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 46 invites you to come and be still and know for the first time that he alone is God. Psalm 46 ends with the repeated refrain, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. When everything else around us feels uncertain, our footing seems unsure, the ground beneath our feet trembles, and even our own hearts fail us, God makes us, by his Spirit, steadfast and immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord, so that our footing is sure. God puts granite beneath our feet so that we will not fall when the storms come. And so let me just encourage us this morning, brothers and sisters, apply these truths to your own heart so that when calamities come, we're ready. We'll say, the Lord is my refuge and my strength, a present help right now in trouble, so I will be still and know that he is God. God will be glorified in saving and sanctifying and satisfying his people. And he is out to get glory for himself. And yet as he exalts himself, as he glorifies himself, we get more of the joy of being in him, more of his help. And so God doesn't begrudge. It's not like, ah, I only got so much. You guys want more of my help, more of my presence? He says, take it all, lean on me because that's the way I get more glory. That's how I show my infinite worth. So lean on Jesus and help others to see in the midst of the calamities and trials, people at work, people in your neighborhood, and they say, how, how are you so okay with everything? And you say, because of Jesus, let me tell you about him. May, may, may that be our hearts. May we be ready to speak of this good news because Jesus is worth it. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would let these truths sink deep for those who are experiencing calamity today, right now, that they would experience more of your protecting grace and your presence among them and know your power. And those who are not yet facing these things, we pray that they would know 
these truths. Let them sink deep into their hearts so that when calamity comes, they might trust in you all the more and that we would all be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.